Today I'm going to be meditating on a concept, and that is the relationship between forgiveness and justice. So recently I was listening to a Bible study from Karis, um, which I listen to all the time on YouTube, and uh, it was Daniel Bennett speaking, and he said one of his favorite ways to study with the Holy Spirit is to ask God to show him the relationship between any two concepts in Scripture. Uh, because if they are both biblical, then there's always a relationship between them, and God can help you to see that. And that's a very holistic perspective, right? Everything's very interconnected. So these are seesaws, sort of. Like, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. So on one hand, God is a God of justice, and he expects that any sin is going to be paid for one way or the other. And that is the whole reason why he had to send Jesus. He couldn't just completely ignore sin because that would, even though that would be grace, it would violate justice. You can't, he, he, he cannot violate one component of his character. Someone had to pay for it. So he sent Jesus and that is available to everyone who will receive it. So every sin that was ever committed before or after the cross was paid for by Jesus if we'll just take it, right? Um, but if we don't accept that, then what ends up sending us to hell is the sin of not accepting Jesus. It's not any one individual sin that any one of us have committed. At the same time, there is still natural consequences for sin, even if we accept God's payment of Jesus so that there is no eternal consequences for any individual sin. In the natural, there are still things that will happen as a result of God defending. Okay, so um, what we're also told is because Jesus has forgiven us all of our sins, past, present, and future, in the same way, Jesus says in Matthew, 5, uh, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So that's pretty intense, right? And I don't think this means that if a believer holds unforgiveness in their heart that they're going to hell. Like it, the, Jesus is already covered even sins that you're still struggling with. You've accepted that payment, but again, there's natural consequences and then there's eternal consequences. So the natural consequences for unforgiveness, for example, can be physical problems because you're going to be storing all of that angst in your body. So just from a medical standpoint, that's when you end up with elevated levels of cortisol. So cortisol is one of those Goldilocks hormones. You, you don't want it to be too high. You don't want it to be too low. It can end up causing immune suppression if it's really high. It can make you totally exhausted and unable to deal with allergies and other kinds of inflammatory insults if it's too low. And then you also are in the position of lots of inflammatory cytokines that are that, that end up flooding your body. You can hold that in your body and it can literally turn into physical disease if you hang on to it. I've definitely seen that happen. So that, I would say, is going to be a natural consequence of hanging on to unforgiveness because you can roll it on to, so we're told in, in uh, First Peter, that we cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. So we can cast that over to the Lord so that we, we're essentially saying, Lord, I believe you are going to take care of this. So there's multiple ways that this can happen. The best way, of course, is for that person, if assuming that this is unforgiveness toward a person, to come back to us and apologize. And then there's restoration of relationship. And then all of it is swept under the cross. But if that does not happen, 
God is still a God of justice. Now that does not, we're not talking about eternal consequences in that case. We're talking about natural, earthly, physical consequences of sin that happens against an individual. We can trust that God's justice is so much better than anything that we could ever exact on our own that we can truly let it go. That's the way it happens. So Psalm, one of my favorite uh, passages uh, on the concept of justice is Psalm 37, 5 to 9. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still and wait for the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So, and then later on in Psalms, this is also David, Psalm 59, 10 says, God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. So this is definitely not usually considered a godly concept. And yet at the same time, God wants your justice to shine like the noonday sun for you to be exonerated. And either it is because that person is going to come back and recognize it and say they're sorry, or the Lord himself is going to exalt you as you trust in him. That is the way that we can roll it over. It's not because we're just wiping it out and saying it didn't matter. I think so so often when we feel when we're told that we need to forgive the response is but you don't understand what this person did to me or you don't understand how bad this was it's as if the person who's saying you need to forgive is being non-compassionate or uncompassionate and that's not it it's that we need to let it go on the trust this is a form of trusting in the lord that he's the one who's going to exonerate. So we're told in Romans 12, 19 to 21, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This is New Testament. So this is not just Old Testament pre-cross. This is current. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, which cracks me up because that also sounds like something that's not very loving for you to really want to heap burning coals on your enemy's head. But the idea is you are showing love and compassion because you recognize that it is the Lord's job to give you justice and he will. So one way or the other, if you're either reconciled and the person is sorry or because he's the one who is going to redeem in the natural, like there will be earthly consequences where your justice shines and where or, or the justice of your cause is the one that shines either way you are believing that he's better at this than you are it is a way for you to just release and the end of that passage says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good um, so a few more verses about this so again new testament god is just he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled second thessalonians 1 6 to 7 um and here's another couple of them. So in Genesis, I love the story of Joseph. This is such a great story of forgiveness. Uh, and forgiveness that's complete, it's, it's grace. It's, it, it's grace on the part of Joseph. Joseph is definitely a type of Christ in this story. So again, just um, brief overview. I think this begins in Genesis, uh, gosh, 37. Okay, so this it's Genesis 37 through the end of the book, which is uh, Genesis 50, essentially. And so the story is Joseph is favored of all of his 12 brothers. Um, 
and actually his brother Benjamin is too, but he's a child at the time, the beginning of this story. Um, and so the other 10 are super jealous because, uh, Jacob, their father, a leader whose whose name is also Israel, clearly prefers Joseph over the rest of them. They're super jealous, and so where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work, right? Um, so that causes them to first intend to kill him, but then instead they throw him in a pit, and then they sell him into slavery. He goes into slavery for about a decade, um, and then at the end of that, he ends up getting thrown into prison for being falsely accused of adultery, and then he's in prison for three years before he finally gets promoted to being second in command of all of Egypt. And then, a couple of years into that process, then his brothers end up coming to him because now he's second in command. There's a famine. The brothers are being are sent by their father to go get grain. And Joseph recognizes them. And there's this really interesting dynamic that happens after that where the brothers don't recognize him. He's out of context. He's much, much older. He was 17 when he was sold. Now he's like 37. So he's changed a lot. Um, and so they don't know what's going on. And Joseph does not tell them right away. And I recently did a retelling of Joseph for one of the uh, biblical retelling books that I'm going to be doing later. But I, I used to be really confused by that story. And I, I just thought, you know, he's messing with them. He's trying to get revenge. But I don't think that's what it is. There's no indication that Joseph ever actually is trying to seek revenge against his brothers, I think what he wants to see is, can he trust them again? Are they different? And so he essentially prods them by putting Benjamin, his younger brother, who's also favored, in the same position Joseph had been decades earlier to see if they're going to sell out Benjamin to save their own skins or if they have learned their lessons. And he, as soon as he establishes that they have learned their lessons and they're willing to sacrifice themselves so that, that they can send Benjamin back to their father, that's the moment that Joseph actually reveals who he is to them. And it's so the way I, I read that is not that he was trying to exact, he wasn't trying to make them miserable. He was trying to identify whether or not their hearts had changed. And then once he recognized that they had, he could be back in fellowship with them again. So then once the brothers come back, of course, at first, they, they're really concerned that he's going to put them to death or he, he's going to end up taking revenge against them. And he provides for them and he's kind to them. But then later at the end of Genesis, their father, Jacob, dies. And then all the brothers begin to wonder is Joseph going to kill us now? Is he going to exact revenge now? Maybe the whole reason he didn't do it is because our father was alive, but now he's going to. So then they go to jo to Joseph at the end of Genesis 50, and they grovel before him. And what Joseph says is so beautiful. This is uh, Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So that encompasses so much about God's character. God does not cause the evil that happens to us. He doesn't cause people to do evil. He can't. That's not part of his nature. But he's like a master chess player. He is able to take the worst circumstance and work it to good for those who are called according to his purpose and who are trusting him for it. So Paul says it this way uh, in Romans 8.28, one of them that we all know really, really well. And let me look that up. Um, okay, so 
And we know that all things work together for the for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So this is not that all these bad things were happening. God did not make the brothers sell Joseph into slavery. He used it. He, he, he saw what they were going to do. And he gave Joseph a dream at the beginning so that he knew the end from the beginning to help to give him sustenance through all those long years, the 13 years where things hadn't yet turned around. He had the dreams that told him the end from the beginning that he could cling to. He didn't know how long it would be. He didn't know how God would would produce the deliverance, but he knew he would. And Joseph then recognized that, you know, the the brothers, ultimately, Joseph was redeemed. God ended up having the justice of his cause shine like the noonday sun. He exalted him because Joseph humbled himself and to the point of being a slave, to the point of being a prisoner. He humbled himself and he continued to do what God showed him to do. And God exalted him in due time. So in due time, we will reap if we do not give up. So that, oh gosh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find that one. I think that's Ephesians. One second. Um, let's see. Well, anyway, the, the concept is that, you know, in, in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's one of these, the, the verses or the, uh, letters from Paul. But anyway, so that I think is like, is such a good concept. And in that particular case, he didn't have to exact justice. I mean, the justice ended up happening anyway, though, because number one, we see when the brothers, came before they knew who Joseph was, they're all whispering amongst themselves, this is happening to us because of what we did to our brother. So clearly their consciences have tormented them for this entire time. And then once Joseph finally does reveal himself, they have to go back and tell Jacob exactly what they did. So not only did they sell his favorite son into slavery, but he they let him believe for decades that he was dead and they watched him be in these the this pit of grief and despair and they didn't tell him about it they let him go through all of that and now the truth comes out god is always going to reveal the truth and so joseph didn't have to exact anything all of god's promises came to pass and he was able to forgive and not now he had restoration of his family as well so uh, more of these verses so um Let's see. It is okay. So this is Hebrews 10, 30 to 31. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is dreadful to fall into the hands of a living God. Um, Isaiah 10, 1 to 2. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of the rights and withhold justice of the, from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. God is a God of justice. He wants to see things come to right. And um, so then he actually says this. Okay, so in um, Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Um, and then Isaiah 35, 4, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Um, Isaiah 49, 25 to 26, I will contend with those who contend with you and your children. I will save. Um, and then it's Isaiah 54, 15, if anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. So he says that explicitly. All this evil that people do against each other, God isn't the author of that. But whoever attacks will surrender to you. And actually, let me look up the rest of that verse because it ends really, really well. Uh, let's see, 54. Um, so 
Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but shall, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Um, and then skipping down to verse 17. So this is Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Uh, so, and then. So Luke 18, 7 and 8, so this is Jesus talking. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Luke 18, 7 and 8. Uh, Proverbs twenty twenty two. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Um, so the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. That's Psalm 103, 6. Uh, Psalm 140, 20. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. So this is, this is who God is. So yes, we are to forgive one another, but we are not to do it because we don't expect that there will ever be any reckoning for the sin that is done. One way or another, there's always reckoning. And it was either from what God did for us or from the person themselves. And of course, we don't want the person themselves to suffer. We want everybody to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and to receive that. But even if that has happened, even if it is a believer that you have issues with, at the same time, there are natural consequences. And we can still trust God for that, that, that we will be exonerated and redeemed and that God will come through, that we will have our justice because he is a God of justice. So I hope that was helpful to you. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you next week. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.